Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday. Welcome to the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. How's it going, Mike? It is going well. Uh, we have uh, survived the uh, Arctic blast of last week, and today is like a nice, uh, nice steamy thirty-something degrees in the New York, New Jersey area, huh, Mike? Twenty-four. Yeah, we survived that. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it was cold as hell last week. But you know what? It is January and it is winter. And all these people who were complaining the last two or three winters about how we haven't had a real winter in years. And well, we I think we're we're gonna get that real winter that uh, everyone wanted so badly, huh? Yeah, absolutely, man. Sunday I didn't even leave the house. I just stayed in, in inside the whole day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, if you got your food and your your movies and everything you need, there really kind of was no reason to to leave the damn house. But uh, I had a good weekend. Um, it was uh, Joe uh, Porfido, uh, his birthday, and a bunch of us went out to eat at a uh, Brazilian restaurant in the city. Me and Stella went, and uh, it was a good old time. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, it was, you know, the Inhuman guys. And, uh, you know, it's. I tell you, man, it's good to maintain friendships of of you know if you haven't had a band for as long as I have and, and, and one of my bands in human has been together uh next year will be 30 years um it is good to be friends with your bandmates you know like I've I've always found it like a good thing that like these are people that I I want to fucking hang out with and spend time with and not just you know go to band practice with you know what I'm saying Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, for the most part, I've stayed friends with uh guys I've played in bands with. You know, there's like mm -hmm. a, a couple of bad eggs here and there, you know, but, yes. <laughs> but you know, what, what are you gonna do? You know, but but uh mostly uh, I'm I mean Andrew Hernandez, uh who played in tombs for a number of years, he he and I are really tight and you know, yeah. he played on Scorpion Throne, like the project mm -hmm. I did, you know, which I'm gonna do more work on that project in the coming year. Nice. But um yeah, Andrew and I stayed friends. Like most most of the guys that have played in the band, I'm friends with still, and um, mm -hmm. and the guys I'm currently playing with are, are awesome dudes. So yeah, it's I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like look, as far as bad eggs, hey man, I've I've got a couple of bad eggs. Uh, there are people that I never want to see again, but that's that is life, you know. That such is life, as they say. But uh, yeah, aside from that, uh, you know, low key due to the. Uh, Due to the weather, I guess. Uh haven't done much. Haven't really seen many shows. Uh I feel like nobody's nobody's out there just yet. I feel like January's a little slow, no? I haven't gone to a show at all this month. Um, you know, as as you know, and some of you out there listening know, I'm gonna be out on the road in a few weeks. So that's gonna mm -hmm. make up for the lack of shows and uh mm. in the in the month of January, I was seeing Nunslaughter and Pro Fanatica every night for two and a half weeks. So Right. And uh, by late February, early March, it kicks off. When's the kickoff? Uh, the, it kicks off on the 13th of February. Oh, yes, that's right. Mid-February. Cool, cool. Providence, Rhode Island, one of my favorite cities. Yeah. The uh, HP Lovecraft home, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. The the last night of the tour hits Brooklyn, so I, I will certainly be there for that. Um, should be fun. But uh, that's yeah. awesome because normally it's like in the last couple of tours we've done, the tour starts in like Albuquerque 
and like ends ends in like LA or something like that. <laughs> so it's like it's kind of nice that we're starting in Providence and ending in New York. So that that that's very nice. I appreciate that. No, that's definitely great for you guys for sure. Um and I, I you know, I believe Pro Fanatic is based in like the Connecticut-ish area, so it's probably good for them too, you know. Um uh, no, yeah. archives. they're based from one town over from where I grew up, actually. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. true. New, New York. And I think some members were, were, were also CT as well. Kind of like that, you know, stone's throw kind of thing, you know. <laughs> but um, other than that, like, I think a little later in the year, later in the winter is the the Decibel Tour with uh, Holder on it, which I want to see. And uh, that's kind of the only band on that bill I want to see is Holder, the headliner. So that should be cool. That's, I think, mid-March or whatever by the time it hits uh, New York. But uh, I guess, you know, the year is young, and I'm sure that there'll be more, you know, Metal Tours announcements uh, along the way, I would gather, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, we're only like a few weeks into the year, so. Totally, totally. But uh, on the viewing front, uh, real quick, before we do the plugs, of course, and the phone call, um, I am, uh, you know, neck deep, or should I say, or should I say shin deep in Sopranos. I'm in the middle of season two, uh, first rewatch, literally, since uh, the, the only rewatch as the show uh, unfolded many moons ago. And I got to say... Um, Season one can be very rough at times, but by the time you hit towards the end of season one into season two, it's like, I mean, the show is fucking fantastic, I feel, you know? Oh, yeah, dude. I, I don't know how many times I've um I've seen that that entire series. You know, it's something <laughs> I've like rewatched that multiple times. And I mean, my, my girlfriend, Tina, is like a, a, is an expert on uh, The Sopranos. Nice. You know? being a uh, Jersey native, you know, she's mm -hmm. uh, a lot of those locations were like basically in her backyard for where she grew up. So it's kind of, That's she's great. like an expert on that whole thing. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, some of it feels like it's 40 years old sometimes, you know, instead of 25 years old, 20 years old, but uh, I am enjoying it. Nonetheless, it's been my, what I watch before I go to bed for the last few weeks. So uh, I've got quite a ways to go. Um, but I, I am enjoying that. Yeah. What about you? I've been uh, deep in into uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, man. The Larry, Larry David. Yes. <laughs> I'm a late I'm a late comer to that, man. I'm I'm like uh, a late bloomer with uh, Curb, and I'm mm. totally into it, man. And and the new season kicks off, and shortly, like Very a couple soon, weeks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're. We're we're rounding out. We're like in the final stretch of that entire thing, and I gotta I gotta be honest with you. I, I love it. It's great. I've been I've been uh, we've been on this kind of journey for like the last couple of weeks. <laughs> That's a show. Honestly, like, is there a bad episode of Curb? I don't I don't think there is a bad episode. Like, they're all like, I mean, some of them you can laugh so hard you'll throw up, but even ones that have even ones that are not as amazing are still great. Like, I don't know. It's just levels. Levels of greatness, you know, much like uh, like Marduk records. There's levels of greatness. I think they're all pretty great, pretty damn great, you know. Oh, yeah, totally. Now, it's funny speaking about tours. No, uh, no, no word about the uh, Marduk tour that mm. uh, 
that's being uh there's been talks of them coming back to the states since 2020 man and and no no uh no no sight of those guys well there i mean there is a show book they are on milwaukee metal fest in may um which is very strangely just a week or two before mdf which uh, has got to be you know i mean i guess there are people that'll do both you know but it's an expense if you're not living in the milwaukee area it's a bit of an expense to go to the milwaukee metal fest um they are on that but yeah there are no other dates at all announced and we're almost in February. I mean, look, hey, they could announce something in February for May and June, right? That would that would be fine. But um, I feel like lately, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say February is not happening. <laughs> no, like a February <laughs> announcement for like a May tour. You don't you don't okay. even think that that's gonna no. <laughs> God, kinda, a little bird told me that May is not happening too. So just, oh just, my God, no. little bird told me that. Yeah. Well, look, we, we you know, I, I, I'm sure there are people listening to this that would are going to Milwaukee Metal Fest and are probably looking forward to to seeing Marduk, and we're gonna we're gonna cross our fingers that they play the single show, and uh, I guess we'll leave it at that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. More, more uh, yeah, the plot's thickening with that. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> aye, 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 man. Um. But yeah, uh, it is funny that I just use them as an example. Like I was gonna, I was gonna say like Cannibal Corpse. I mean, there's no bad records; they're just varying no. degrees of of how good it is, you know. Although some may disagree with us on that take as well, but um, that's just that's just how it is. Actually, uh, as we speak, I'm wearing a matching Cannibal Corpse sweatpants <laughs> and zip up sweats sweatshirt uh, outfit right now. Ensemble. Wow. Very cool. I, uh, Completely by accident. Yeah, I can't see Mike right now, so yeah, that is pretty random. Um, yeah, I've been on, I've been on like a, like a, what a surprise! '90s death metal tear, um, of like the, of not the, not the t- marquee bands, the right below the marquee, like your Unleashed and your Sinisters, and I've been listening to, uh, you know. Uh, edge of sanity a lot and i've been listening to that kind of stuff lately i don't know it's been like uh definitely floating my boat uh you know that's the great thing about death metal there's there's so much to choose from there's different eras and different levels and time periods you know it's it's since it's like 30 plus years old it's like you can go to so many different places with it now you know Definitely, and my I love the uh, blackened death metal sound too. That's like one of my styles. Oh, you kind of like your your dissections and your sacramentums and that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, that's cool. It's also <laughs> just that super evil, cavernous, uh, incantation inspired uh, death metal too, like your grave miasmas and stuff like mm. that. Yeah, no, that stuff is great. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, you know. It's it's my Spotify. So I've made the switch. I left Apple Music and uh, joined 2019 and I'm now a big uh, Spotify person. And um, it's it's already kind of feeling me out and knows kind of what I want. And, you know, it makes like some of those playlists for you. And it's just so much good death metal stuff and black metal stuff. And, 
I, I just like the the ease of it as opposed to the the Apple. I don't know. The Apple Music was a little. It's just just not laid out the same, and it just wasn't as intuitive. I don't know. I play around both. I I don't I don't pay for Spotify, but I have a but I I use it pretty frequently though. Right, right, yeah. I I killed my pay Apple and upped my Spotify to from free Spotify to pay Spotify. So that's that's what I did. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, I've been been listening to Sinister's Cross the Sticks. That's some good ass shit. That's some uh, not for wimps death metal. Love it. <laughs> um. Aside from that, I think it is time for the plugs, and we have a return, a return of one of our, our favorite podcasts, Mr. Hill. We have to uh, call it to attention. So starting the week off, of course, we've got Brandon Legion, Harwolf 666, and mm -hmm. uh, this past uh, week, we have the return of Jackie Smith yes. into the Necrosphere. He's back from his uh, safari in, uh, yeah. in South Africa. So. <laughs> you know what? It wasn't vacation. It's, it is almost just like saying safari instead of vacation. It's like, you know, because like vacation is like a week or two weeks. You know, this 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 was more than that. This was like a journey, I feel like. Yeah, you know? journey. Yep. <laughs> He's back from his journey. But uh, yes, welcome back, Jackie. We we missed you. Uh, yeah. And of course, uh, as you said, it's Into the Necrosphere. That's on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we have the mothership, uh, Mike Hill's very own Everything Went Black. And uh, who's going to be on by the time uh, the folks hear this episode for, for next week? Well, Ralph uh, Schmidt and I uh, get together. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Ralph, Ralph has taken like a, was on a little bit of a hiatus, mm -hmm. but uh, he's back in full force. And um, we uh, he joins me this week and uh, we talk about our favorite who are definitive dracula is oh that's yeah. gonna be a good one yeah that's gonna be a nice nice episode you know and uh yeah. and of course we talk about another subject that's gonna come up later um when we start doing the phone calls of course uh true detective yes. but, uh, yeah it's always a blast talking to ralph yeah he's cool man i'm looking forward to that dracula episode. something tells me i know who someone's number one is but uh, i'm gonna keep it under my hat um, on Thursday, while you're listening to it right now, it is the Necromaniacs podcast, the greatest horror podcast of all time in the history of podcasting. Uh, coming to you on Friday, we have none other than my own brother, John Draper, with Spitball Media. Be sure to check out Spitball Media. Uh, coming to you every single Friday. On Saturday, you get the day off. I know it's a little cold, but go out and get some fresh air. But on Sunday, who do we have, Mike? I come up brings a soul knock. That's um, anything dark or macabre that uh, falls within the wheelhouse of Carl. And uh, Carl and I have been doing, uh, continuing our Darkness Weaves project collaboration where we get into the work of Carl Edward Wagner. And um, we finished up our exploration of in a lonely place. And now we've moved on to uh, the Kane stories. And if you're a fan of Conan or just sword and sorcery in general, the Kane stories are particularly interesting because it's um, Kane's like this immortal, like sword swinging magician, basically sorcerer, nice. uh, a bit of an anti-hero 
and um, incredibly well-written short stories and a couple of novels by Wagner. And mm -hmm. uh, Carl and I are getting into those now. Excellent. Uh, then we have our Lone Wolf podcaster, Mr. Cheyenne of Trivax, right, Mr. Hill? Recently, uh, Cheyenne on, on uh, Everything Went Black, too. We had a, we had a really right. good time. And mm -hmm. uh, that's Iblis Manifestations. And uh, mm -hmm. he's got a, a really interesting show. Covers a lot of ground, and uh, you just got to pay attention. And uh, when when it's when the time is right, you'll get an episode. Let's put it that That's way. Right. Hit hit that subscribe button. Uh, I saw that his band is uh, doing dates with the Mighty Diocletian, which is pretty fucking cool. Yes, cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. Diocletian, uh, of course, uh, are on nuclear war now currently, and they have a new LP coming out this summer. They just dropped the. Uh, a single and video from it uh, actually on the nuclear war now Instagram page. And I, I imagine it's also on YouTube somewhere and it was fucking really good. I don't know if you, you checked it, Mike. I did. It, it's, I mean, I love Diocletian and uh, I'm looking forward to, to hearing the entire album this summer. Yeah. Uh, they did one U S set of dates 10 years ago in 2014. And uh, I was fortunate enough to see them uh, at MDF and, to me, they were one of the, the best bands at MDF that day. So hopefully the the 10-year mark will be a potential return to uh, U.S. soil, huh? Would be nice, as they say. Um, How about we jump to the Necrophone? Right. So if you want to call us and leave us a message, you can hit us at 908-913-0782. 913-0782. And first up, we've got Mike from Pennsylvania. Yo, Necrohoods. It's Mike from Telford. It's on my way to work this morning. It's 5.22 a.m. We're getting another shit show here sometime today. Uh, just wanted to say uh, hello, and uh, we watched a movie last night called Private Parts. It's from 1972. It's not the Howard Stern classic it's a Paul Bartel movie from the early 70s, and it was totally fucking bizarre and sleazy, and I fucking loved it. So I'm just curious as to what you guys thought about that. I, I, it's got horror elements for sure. It's got some surprising, really surprising things that happen in it, but uh, I just felt like I needed a shower after watching it. So uh, check that out if you get a chance, and uh, this will be a quick message. Hope you guys are doing good. Look forward to next Thursday. This past Thursday was fucking fantastic. So uh, later, fellas. It's always great hearing from Mike. Uh, it doesn't seem like a, a complete week without him, actually. I know. I, I get bummed when we don't hear that that voice. He's got like that that cool kind of like hard style voice, you know, like a guy who probably would you would not want to get a punch from voice, Michael. Would you agree? Probably. That's just the vibe. That's the vibe I get. I would not want to take a punch from Mike from PA. I don't know. That's just the vibe I get. But uh, he brought up a movie that sounds very interesting, Mike. Uh, Private Parts uh, from 1972. I have heard of the name before, like a, the 70s movie Private Parts, but I've never seen this movie. Have you? And I haven't even heard of it, actually, to be honest. I um, mm. initially was thinking about the Howard Stern uh film right. and which is great you know but this is uh I, I have the feeling that this is completely different so yeah 
Oh yeah. Okay. Here's here's the byline for this. Private Parts, 1972 American horror film from Paul Bartel in his film debut. Uh, it follows a troubled young woman who suspects a deviant serial killer living in her aunt's dilapidated hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, the film has been noted for its stylistic mix of horror, dark comedy, and psychological thriller elements. Uh, yeah, we might have to seek this one out, Mike. I don't know. It sounds right up our alley. Maybe this is. Uh, let's find out where it's streaming and see if we can. Uh, we can. We can check it out and maybe do an episode on it. it sounds awesome. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It, it definitely sounds cool as shit. So uh, I I want to see this movie, even though the poster is a little little kind of creepy. The, you can see the poster on the Wikipedia page. But uh, yeah, thank you for that recommendation, Mike. Cheers. Yeah, I, I would reckon that Vinegar Syndrome might have uh, released this, maybe. Hmm. It, it, maybe. I would have to, we have to do a little digging and checking on that. And of course, uh, our listeners would keep us honest if they have. <laughs> All right. So next up, we've got Braden from Vancouver, another returning uh, listener. Mm hmm. Yes, this is Brayden from Vancouver, Canada, calling. Um, I just wanted to uh, wish you guys happy, well, I guess sort of a late happy new year. Uh, I have a quick suggestion uh, for a movie. I'm sure you guys have probably already seen, but I feel like it does not get nearly enough uh, appreciation or uh, praise is Ken Russell's 1980 film, Altered States. Um it's sort of in the body horror, psychological horror uh, realm, and um, it's just this uh, insane uh, uh, psychedelic trip, quite literally, of, of, a, of a movie. But it plays with some really cool, uh, interesting ideas, um, some insane imagery. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure it's also where Godflesh sourced the imagery for their uh, cover art for Street Cleaner. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, yeah. So it's it's what ever since I've seen it uh, for the first time, it just blows my mind. It's not more um, uh, ubiquitous uh, because it's just so cool and just a weird, also weird. It's a weird movie, um, even just down to some of the social interactions and camera choices and stuff. It's it's awesome. And um, I also wanted to get your guys' take on the recent announcement of James Wan kind of taking over this new push going forward, covering H.P. Lovecraft material. Um, personally, I've never been a James Wan fan. I don't like his approach to horror, and I think he's overrated. And um, I do not think he's the one to do Lovecraft. I think it takes a little bit more subtlety, and I just have a feeling it's going to be focusing too much on jump scares and just a lot of the things that I can't stand about his films, but not to be a hater, but that's my opinion. And I'm curious what you guys think. Um, I do think there's a lot of great fodder in Lovecraft for some great films, but I, I just don't think he's the one for it personally, but uh, yeah, curious to hear what you guys think. And um, uh, looking forward to another year of Necromaniacs episodes and uh, thanks for everything guys. Take care. And happy new year to you, sir. Um, yes, it's never yes. too late to wish, wish someone a happy new year. So. <laughs> oh, um, our friend Larry David probably thinks the cutoff is at about January 10th, I would say. I, I think he he might even say it's January 5th. However, uh, 
I think the entire month of January is a go. <laughs> yeah, totally. And um, yeah, getting to some of his points, um, definitely Ken Russell's 1980 Altered States, incredible movie. Big, big fan of that film. Uh, Mike, how do you feel about that movie? You seen it? Okay. Uh, either I saw it so long ago that I've forgotten it or I've never seen it and I can't remember. So I need to fix that and see this movie because I know the movie. I know that I remember the box cover, the movie poster. I know about the movie, but I just can't remember the movie itself. So I need to see this movie again or for the first time. Oh, it's great. It's about like connecting with like the like free human hominid forms and it's kind of a psychedelic film man and uh i actually found the score on a vinyl a number of years ago and i have that oh and, nice uh, yes it's uh the street cleaner crosses are from are, are images taken from that movie from uh, oh, god then, then it's a must see okay I, I i have to it's one of those movies i just gotta plunk down and finally fucking see um yeah he he also brought up something very interesting um that hollywood has now deemed that james wan is going to be handling the hp lovecraft uh, hp lovecraft stuff um within the mouth of madness coming out uh i don't know sometime later in 2024 uh what are your thoughts on that mike i'm uh completely distraught by uh james <laughs> wan handling this handling hp lovecraft mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Look, he has his Saw connection, and Saw is Saw, but Saw is not H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, let's, you know, and what is that? Malignant, malignant is not H.P. Lovecraft. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he, he His Aquaman is not H.P. Lovecraft either. You know, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Big question mark. That's all I got to say. I mean, I Bad can't. Part. The sad part is that we had Richard Stanley, who was the perfect guy, but you know he had his controversies and uh, That's is it. no longer allowed to the party. You know, no, he is no longer allowed to the party. To put it mildly, uh, I mean, I you know I, I still follow him on Facebook. That guy posts on Facebook at least every other day or every day, once a day, and I feel like that guy's not doing shit. And I just almost feel bad for that guy. I mean, I don't even know. I don't know what even happened and it's not my my place to whatever uh, go on about something that I don't know a lot about. But I will say I would have felt a little better with these movies in uh, Mr. Stanley's hands. I'll say that, you know, I don't well, know. Guillermo del Toro, I think, would have done a fine job. Yeah. And didn't. OK, wasn't he actually attached to the Mouths of Madness and then. I forget what studio it was, wasn't really, there was like, I don't know if it was a money issue or if it was, it was a, we don't know what this is about kind of issue with one of the major studios or I don't know, but he was attached at one point. Yes. Definitely. And I was excited about that. And then it just went away. And then I heard that James Wan is, uh, is the man now. So that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Look, look, the first conjuring and insidious, fine okay you know but i don't think he's a guy that i would immediately think of uh to handle hp lovecraft stuff hey i could end up eating my words and this could be a good movie but again there are other people i would have thought that this would have gone to um and it's uh, i guess it's a big wait and see right 
I check it out. I mean, if, if it's a Lovecraftian thing, I'll I'll most likely see it. And then, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And uh lastly, we got uh we got Dave Dave Razor Eater from mm -hmm. uh Razor Eater Metal Instagram. Hey Necromaniacs, it's uh your buddy Dave Berardi over at Razor Eater Metal on Instagram. Just wanted to uh say hey. Hope you guys had a happy new year, great holiday. Um I'm just getting over a nasty head cold. So uh naturally that led me to some time where I could hunker down and watch some uh some pretty cool stuff. Uh just wanted to share that with you guys, see if you guys were able to check any of this out. Um I ended up seeing um the new uh episode of True Detective. Uh that's a highlight, definitely. And uh I think it was great actually. Um kinda open ended right now on if they're gonna go supernatural or something like that. Because um, there's some stuff in there that uh led me to believe that they might take that direction. Uh if they do, I hope they do it well because um you know, I don't know. If either you do it well or you don't, right? So <laughs> I guess we'll see, but I think Jody Foster's really good in it. I think the storyline's pretty good and uh, I'd like to see where they're heading. Um, so if you guys didn't get to check that out just yet, uh, highly suggest you do. Um, also got to watch Mandy for the first time. So that was excellent. Uh, I can see why that's Brandon's favorite film of all time. Uh, just the visuals and that, the colors, the cinematography, and of course, you know, Nicolas Cage raging. It's, uh, it's excellent. Um, I checked out Smile as well. Uh, you know, I didn't think that was worth all the hype that it got the year it came out. I gotta be honest. There was a couple of cool things about it, but uh not really for me. And uh I also checked out Allegoria by Spider One from the band Power Man five thousand. Um I thought that was actually pretty cool. Uh I enjoyed the storylines, enjoyed the visuals in that as well. Um and I think he's just an excellent storyteller. Um if you guys haven't checked that out, I highly recommend. I think it's on Shutter. Uh, and there, I saw it on YouTube, actually, someone uploaded it. Oh. Um, had a quick question for Mr. Skindado. I remember on a previous episode, he, uh, spoke about Killjoy, the death metal singer, and he saw the band The Ravenous. I think he said it was at CBGB's. Uh, I've been on a Killjoy kick lately, and I made a, an appreciation post for that band. And I was just wondering if, you know, maybe you could go into a little more detail about that show or anything like that, any memories, because um, it's an absolutely killer and underrated, you know, super group of, uh, of guys that made some killer death metal. So, you know, if he wants to uh, enlighten us with some stories from that night or anything like that, that'd be awesome. Uh, other than that, guys, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Always love it. Thanks for keeping us company on Thursday. Thanks for calling back, Dave. Great hearing from you. And yeah, uh, yeah everyone's talking about True Detective, man. Totally. Um, Mike and I chatted about it before the, the show got running. Um, and we're up to episode two now, uh, listeners. Uh, episode two aired the other night by the time we're taping this. And my two episodes thoughts are I, I, I like it, but I'm not in love just yet. I'm not in love. Uh, it's I would say by the first two episodes of seasons one, two, and three, I was I was in love. I think I was all I was ready, up and excited, and ready to go. Um, 
But I feel like my opinion is in a little bit of the minority, according to what I see on Instagram and Facebook, where everyone is just kind of drooling and tripping over it. Um, it's a wait and see. I, I, I can't say other other than the fact that I'm not loving it is it, I can't say much else because it has just begun and I hope it gets better and better. Um, but so far, I mean, the best thing about it is the setting so far is the is this, you know, Arctic uh, Alaskan setting, which harkens back, of course, to the thing, one of my favorite movies and, you know, uh, horror is a great setting. I mean, winter uh, climates and snow and, you know, is a great setting for horror. But I feel like that's one of my, that's one of my big pluses so far and not much else. I got to be honest, not much else so far. Story is cool. Um, but it, what trips up the flow of the show so far is the characterization, I think like, um, there's like literally no subtlety with the characters, you know, and, and in mm. the first season, there's like layers and subtlety and all this great dialogue mm. too. And, mm. you know, iconic scenes and, and I don't know, the dialogue and the writing, I think is a little off right now, at least for the first two episodes. Mm -hmm. But I think the concept for the story is interesting. Um, they have, uh, you know, by the season two, there's tons of throwbacks where they're connecting it to the universe in season one like the total right. family mm -hmm. uh travis cole russ's dad mm -hmm. shows up mm -hmm. um, there's the spiral uh in the very first episode there's um a quote attributed to hildred castain but that quote is not actually in the book it's uh something that the isa lopez wrote and attributed to hildred castain who is a character in repairer of reputations uh one mm -hmm. of the stories that's in the king in yellow mm -hmm. and what's what's interesting about that is that he's the uh unreliable narrator like he's a guy who's losing his mind and the story he's telling you may or may not be true or might be warped mm -hmm. by his uh perspective and i think that's going to play heavily into the storyline for for this season and um i mean I, I think people have said that already like if you go on the youtube and people talk about all these things but mm -hmm. that's just my take on it and uh there's gonna be there's talk of uh oh yeah you know um russ cole is gonna actually be in the in this season i doubt that honestly but it'd be nice i doubt that too um look i do like the the calls to episode to season one uh that's great and totally you know that's kind of exciting obviously um but you are right the i don't think the dialogue is that good i don't think like i mean look the mood is there but i don't know like i i feel like it's not dark enough some some of it i don't am i you know like i don't know like i feel like there's a lot of this other ancillary crap uh, already you know like the daughter's uh relationship like i don't do we don't care about that, that? Like, yeah mm -hmm. i did yeah like i don't really care about that um and how much they'll explore that i guess remains to be seen but um i love jordy foster but i just hope they she gets better dialogue because i don't think her dialogue is that great so far um and i like her character who it seems like she has a lot of, hopefully they, they explore all the layers that I think are there, you know, just two episodes in. Um, and I guess that remains to be seen. 
but I don't see a, I don't want to come off as like a dick who's judging an entire series based on two episodes, but I don't know. I'm I'm just being uh being open and honest about the two episodes so far. I mean, and, yeah, I, uh, I want to like it. You know, I want to. I want it to be good. Yeah, hell yeah. I've been yeah. looking forward to this, you know. But I was excited that Issa Lopez was involved, you know, but it's mm-hmm. um yeah, for for the setting that it has, it's not bleak enough. Like there's it's not there's no uh like I don't know, if you if you had to live in an environment like that where it's dark for 60 days, you know, mm-hmm. and all this stuff was going on, like there's mm-hmm. just no feelings of anxiety. You don't get the sense of any kind of like intensity in the movie, in the show rather. And uh, you know, maybe that'll change just as the plot. Right. Thickens. At least not yet. Yeah. It's only a few days into the, the night or whatever. And and again, hopefully that'll change. And this, who knows, this could end up being one of the best of the four. Um, yeah, maybe. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for it. I'm rooting for it. So, and aside from that, uh, Dave, uh, yes, I got to see the ravenous. Uh, I got the date June 10th, 2001 at the old CBGB's in Manhattan um and it was fucking awesome i mean the thing is i actually for a long time kept a journal of every show i went to and this show i don't think is included because i i've kept it from like 88 to 2000 on paper and this show was 2001 so i'm i'm drawing a blank as to who else was on this bill but i know it was a stacked bill with like death metal and black metal bands uh, if I could find out more, I will. But yeah, I, I will say it was great. And Killjoy was great. And you had uh, Chris Ryford on drums and Dan Lilker on bass. It was, they were fucking great. Uh, a few of these songs from the set are on YouTube, Michael. How about that? Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, man, CB's, of course, known for its iconic hardcore shows. CB's had some very interesting metal shows, too. Some great metal shows. And uh, this was one of them. So yeah, sometimes it's nice to be old. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Right. Mandy's one of our favorites too. That's uh, that's a great, um, you know, Mandy, the uh, Panos Cosmatos uh, masterpiece. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And you know something, dude? I I enjoyed Allegoria, the Spider One. Uh, so it's like an anthology sh- um, um, film, and I um, see that. It's it's I think it's still on Shutter and um I thought it was I thought it was pretty decent actually I thought it was all right okay uh what's any word about his next feature film no mm, uh okay. but did, there was a thing that Spider One did on MTV like I don't know like like sixty years ago <laughs> it feels like at this point it was called uh, Death Valley mm-hmm. and it was no one saw it no one does no one has there's no trace of this it was one season mm. and it was like a reality show based like a fountain almost like a found footage horror cop drama that took place in la 2011 okay yeah Dude, i'm looking it up i mm. andrew hernandez former tombs drummer is the one who told me about it and initially i was like i don't know dude really you know like on, on tv so i checked it out Loved it, and then got canceled because no one's no one watched it because it was on MTV. No one even knew about it, hmm. and um, that I would like to see get resurrected and maybe completed. But you know who knows? I feel like Rob Zombie's like uh, you know standing in his way or something like that. You know Rob Zombie's his brother. You guys know that. 
this is yeah michael cummings is uh is yeah rob zombie's brother robert cummings yeah yeah you would think that uh rob would would help him out you know what i mean Mm. holy crap uh yeah i don't know how I, i okay i remember this show but i i didn't watch it and i probably didn't know what it was all about and i guess it sucks that it was good because i probably would have enjoyed it hmm yeah, no one, no one knew about it because it was on MTV, but it was actually really good. Yeah, I mean, and what was popping on MTV in 2012? I think uh, Jersey Shore. So there you go. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> that brings us to uh, this week's feature film. And of course, yeah. we're talking about, we're going way back. We're going to, uh, well, not way, way back, but we're going to the 90s. Mm-hmm. And this is a uh, trauma directed by Dario Argento and a uh, co-written by Argento, Ruth Jessup and Ivan Klein. Now, interesting about Ivan Klein, mm-hmm. Ivan Klein, how do I want to pronounce it? Ivan Klein is, of course, Ted Klein. Yep. The writer of weird fiction, mm-hmm. uh, ceremonies and the dark gods collection of short stories. Excellent, excellent, excellent material. So if you guys are not familiar with Ted Klein, check these out. He took uh, Ibon, of course, from the, uh, as his nom, nom de plume. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the Clark Ashton Smith uh, Hyperborean Wizard, which uh, if you guys are familiar with Lovecraft and all that, Clark Ashton Smith was uh, a pen pal of his and Robert E. Howard's, and uh, they're all contemporaries. And Another one of those weird tales contributors. So if you like Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard, check out Clark Ashton Smith as well. Well, yeah, I'm looking at, at Ted Klein's uh, bibliography, a select bibliography on Wikipedia, and he's got a whole bunch of short stories uh, dating back, I mean, uh, essentially from the 70s and 80s to about 2019. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, you know, a regular producer but not as Mm. prolific as you would think actually right right yeah Yeah. interesting um yeah now this movie is really interesting and i'm just coming out of the gate and say it and i actually really like dario argento's trauma um to me it is one of the better uh mid late era argento movies and I'll just come out and say it. It is a top 10 Argento movie for me out of Argento's some 20 films at this point. I definitely put this as a top tenor, Mr. Hell. Um, it is uh, of note because it is the first movie of his uh, where he worked with his daughter, Asia. Uh, well, the first movie he directed where he worked with Asia. Of course, she has uh, her role in Demons 2, which he produced, right? Yeah. Um, it is his first feature length american movie uh a few years prior in like 90 uh his two evil lies is i guess you know it's it's a portion of a film but it's not a full-length film uh that was also shot in america uh those are the only two things he's ever shot in america and honestly it's a tremendously strong and interesting cast in this film mike what do you think oh definitely man some of my favorite one of my one of my all-time favorite actors is in it Mm. yeah um you know as mike said it's from 1993 um it was actually released in italy in march of 93 uh and then in america in october of 93 it had a u.s uh, vhs release in march of 94 
which I recall because I rented this movie around 1994 uh, from my local video store. Uh, when did you first see this movie, Michael? Uh, was, this is one of those uh, video search of Miami uh, VHS bootleg tapes that I bought like back in the mm. 90s. Because <laughs> nice. uh, it was around the time like I was just looking through their catalog, you know, and I was picking up Argento films and, um, you know, Suspiria was one of them. Uh, this one, um, that was what I, I discovered, you know, even it's a uh, Michele Suave's uh, De La Morte, De La More. Right, right. Um, these are all v, like VHS bootleg rips that mm -hmm. were available through video search of miami and basically mm -hmm. uh they got around getting well I, 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 eventually i'm sure the fbi caught up to them but uh <laughs> it was like a club a club that you belonged to where we're sharing copies of laser discs or something you know vhs copies of laser disc films i don't know there was some sketchiness to it and you would send away for this thing. And they would send you a VHS tape with like a white label on it with the name printed on the side. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, back in like 94, I remember it had a red box cover um, and it was edited and it was a, a shortened version, but it was widely available. And then by 05, Anchor Bay puts it out on DVD for the first time. And then in September of 2021, our buddies at Vinegar Syndrome put it on Blu-ray for the first time ever. That is uh, what I watched. It's nice, you know, slipcover, tons of cool extras, etc. But uh, back to the cast. It stars uh, Christopher Rydell as David Parsons. Uh, interesting note about Christopher Rydell. Barely made anything after this movie. Uh, two other small credits after this. A movie called A Man is Mostly Water. And a movie from two two thousand, and then another movie from twenty ten called Queen of the Lot, um, and this guy never acted again. Interesting. Uh, I will say I think he was quite good in this movie as uh, David Parsons. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, Aja Argento, of course, as Aura Petrescu, uh, famed actress Piper Laurie as Adriana Petrescu, of course, from, uh, many know her from Carrie, uh, as the mother. Uh, I believe she's Academy Award nominated actress, Piper Laurie. Yeah, uh, she's then the have, real deal. Mm -hmm. Then we have a second Academy Award nominated actor in the movie, Frederick Forrest, as uh, Dr. Judd. Uh, people will remember him from a little movie called Apocalypse Now, uh, Mr. Hill. Yeah. Uh, and then in 79, he was in the movie The Rose, where, yes, he was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actor. How about that? Uh, then we have uh, another excellent cult actor, James Russo, as uh, Captain Travis. Um, then in a small but very memorable role, Brad Dourif is in this as Dr. Lloyd. So on paper, yeah, this is pretty damn cool. One of my favorite all-time actors man I, I like i love brad dorf man and you know you he's been in such a variety of different films from lord of the rings to mm -hmm. exorcist three to <laughs> trauma to yep. uh an x-files episode like the dude is like a, a a workman you know what i mean yeah voice of chucky child's play uh blue velvet dune uh he's even in a movie I'd like for us to tackle one day, The Eyes of Laura Mars. The, yes. uh, 
the infamous uh, Irvin Kirshner, John Carpenter, uh, Giallo. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's shot in America. It's Asia's first movie with her dad. It's got a really interesting cast. Uh, shot in, yeah, Minneapolis, Minnesota, of all places. Uh, budget of $7 million uh, for 1993 money. That's that's no chump change in 1993, right? Yeah, definitely a decent decent budget. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I think most Argento diehards have seen this movie, or I would hope they've seen this movie, uh, as it is now readily available and widely available. But for a long time, it was not that readily available at all. Um, so I feel like it's a very understated, underrated, uh, American set giallo that, uh, Mike and I thought was, was ripe for uh, covering on the show, huh? You know, and, and it can, you know, comes a little in 93. So that's a little bit after the heyday of the giallo, uh, giallo. Oh, oh, way after. Yeah. 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 You know, but so it's I like still, a mm-hmm. Right. I still, I'm still putting this into the giallo blanket. You know, even though it's after the heyday and it's shot in America, because, of course, we have an unknown black gloved killer and many <laughs> and, and many possible suspects. Right, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a giallo uh, film, mm-hmm. um, 100 percent. You know what I mean? It's it's mm-hmm. uh, it's got, you know, the, all the things you mentioned. So for sure. You know, it's funny uh, with a nice, fresh rewatch for the show. There's like very distinct deep red callbacks in this movie. I don't know if you caught those. Yeah. Uh, the, in of course the, the the killer itself, number one, I thought was a little deep red esque. And then there's a scene uh, with Brad Dourif in the elevator that recalls the infamous ending elevator scene at the end of Deep Red. No. Interesting about the Brad Dorif uh, elevator decapitation was that he had to the killer had to resort to that because Brad Dorif's gold chain prohibited prohibited his uh, initial attempt at decapitation. That's right. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, another nice fun fact about this film is that it's got the special effects uh, expertise of none other than Tom Savini. So it's got a lot going for it. Wouldn't you agree? Yep. Great performances, you know, across yeah. the board. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, and, and it's funny, in, in the extras on the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray, like Argento pretty much downplays uh, <laughs> Tom Savini's effects role in this movie. Although, he, you know, he did provide the effects. He was just like he was kind of like saying that it didn't he didn't have to do a lot, you know, <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I you know, if there's nothing but severed heads in the movie, I would say you have to do a lot. But I've heard some people complain that they didn't like the look like the, like the overall looks of the special effects and the severed heads in this film. I mean, is that a little nitpicky or is that a little kind of I mean, 1993-esque looking or I don't know. I mean, I, I it didn't bother me, you know. No, I mean it. it Maybe uh, by today's standards, it might look a little right. dated. But for mm-hmm. 1993, I thought that was a pretty good-looking severed head they had. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, I think the the effects. I mean, for for the budget it had, and you know, it, it's it's an independent film. Any way you shake it, I feel like uh, unless it's you're talking about 
Argento's like first three or four movies or whatever, all these movies are independent and, you know, it can only look so great. But in the early 90s, I don't know. I mean, the horror like effects pinnacle in the early 90s might actually be like Bram Stoker's Dracula, you know? Yes, and that was a big budget Hollywood film. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't even like begin to compare, you know. Uh, another really cool thing about this movie is the score. Pino DiNaggio, uh, once again working with Argento, and uh, another interesting thing is he has a tie-in with Piper Laurie because DiNaggio did the music for Carrie as well. Um, what did you think of that like main theme, that Ruby Rain track? I actually really like it. I mean, Dinaggio's score for the this entire film was great. You know, it's it's definitely yeah. uh, you know it's iconic like his other work. Mm -hmm. It's got like this very almost like dead can dancey kind of chanty choral like I don't know. It's got like this kind of whole vibe to it. Uh, this this main track that's played throughout the movie, and it kind of like opens and closes the film and. Um, I don't know. It it kind of sticks in your head actually, and uh, I I added it to my my Spotify <laughs> because uh, almost all of Pino Dinaggio's uh, music is on Spotify, which is fucking awesome. Um, when did no kind of cool like vinyl release of it? I don't think there is a trauma vinyl, um, but uh, I think it would be ripe for 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 you know for release. Uh, in Pino Dinaggio related news, uh, Waxwork is putting out a body double vinyl uh which i think i alerted the you to which yeah. uh i, I want to get uh that's fucking really cool and they they actually use the the real deal artwork like the body double movie poster as the album cover which is always a plus instead of like some new shitty drawing you know um which unfortunately a lot of these soundtrack labels do because getting the rights to like the, the covers is like sometimes obscene you know, obscenely priced, but uh, thankfully they were able to use the real cover. Uh, no, Trauma would be awesome on vinyl. I would fucking buy that. Uh, I do not think there is one. I think there's a CD uh, that is also probably long out of print, uh, but I don't think there ever was a vinyl. Um, now, getting to the plot of Trauma, uh, it's basically about uh, a troubled teenage girl of course, played by the lovely Asia Argento, um, whose parents have been killed and she's trying to find out who murdered her parents. I mean, that's kind of like the really long and short of it, the short and short of it. Um, but honestly, there, there's kind of like this whole kind of, I don't know, there, there are things at play that don't really come to light until later on, you know? Uh, like especially in relation to who the killer is and why the killer is killing, you know. Uh, it basically starts out with the murder of this uh, chiropractic nurse who's running like an after hours, you know, massage place. <laughs> and she's killed by a, a you know, black gloved shadowy presence who uses this very interesting device to behead her, which is like, Apparently, again, watching the extras on the Blu-ray, Dario made up that device, this electric powered wire garrote that dismembers heads. He uh, he came up with that. Of course he did. 
Yeah, I'd never seen anything like that. But yeah, it's what's interesting about the way they tell the story too is it's like it's very there's there's the plight of um of Aura, you know, mm -hmm. she's like troubled girl, like she's uh you know basically runs away from um you know an institution. Mm -hmm. uh, she's got various uh you know therapists and psychologists uh dealing with her and then there's these murders which are happening which seem to be run running parallel like she's the murders are happening in a parallel to her storyline you know what i mean and there's this right time wave of people getting beheaded by some guy with black gloves you know and then mm -hmm. they just sort of intersect you know what i mean the the two storylines kind of collide at some point yeah, like after that opening scene, we, we see uh, Aura on like a bridge in Minneapolis. She's, you know, apparently she's, uh, we learned that she's anorexic and she has some drug problems. She escaped from a psychiatric hospital and she's about to kill herself when she is stopped by David Parsons, uh, played by Christopher Rydell. Uh, and he reveals to her that he himself is a recovering addict. And he, you know, he manages to convince her to get off the bridge, you know, and he he takes her to a diner. You know, he's trying to be like a good guy. And he's actually, a, he, he actually is a genuinely good person. There's no kind of hidden agenda with him, huh? Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely as there's some altruism there, probably because he can relate to someone who has been dealing with struggling with drug addiction and that sort of stuff right. to help her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we see that his job, I, I'm not exactly sure what his job description is, but he's like mm -hmm. an illustrator that works for a, a news channel. Right. A TV station or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. A TV station. Yeah. So, and he has this kind of relationship with the, one of the anchor women. Yes. They're banging. Yeah. Uh, him and one of the, him and one of the, uh, the 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 anchor women are, are banging but of course he he manages to get uh aura to stay at at his house you know because she has she has nowhere to go and she doesn't want to go back to the you know the, the psychiatric institute um interesting thing of note there is one brief nude scene in this movie of uh asia argento briefly topless and apparently this movie was shot in august and september of 92 when she was 17 years old and she's playing a 16 year old listeners and the guy she is with is what 30 i believe probably yeah and and yeah. hey this is european cinema man you know it's well exactly it's minneapolis by way of minneapolis but the interesting <laughs> thing is argento addresses this again in the extras which uh if you're an Argento fan, in my opinion, you should try to own a nice Blu-ray of every one of his movies because you learn a shit ton about each movie in each one of these Blu-rays on the extras. Uh, he said that the, when the script was written, because there was a script that was done that before it was actually cast, it called for this one nude scene for whoever happened to be the actress. You know what I'm saying? And... Dario brought it up to Asia again, who was 17 at the time. And she said, I don't care. I want to do it. You know, I, I read the script. Let's do it. Who cares? That, that's his exact quote of what she said. And of course, in Italy, like, here's the thing. As America is very kind of, I guess, a bit more hung up on sex. And I think we've probably said this on the podcast. 
in Europe, in particularly, I would say Italy and France, like sex and sexuality is much less of a big deal, whereas violence is more of a big deal. And you'd be way more prone to see nudity on television in certain parts of Europe, but not see extreme violence. Whereas in America, you won't see almost any nudity on regular television, but you'll see a lot of violence on television. Would you agree? Yeah, that, that's fucked up, too, I think. I, I think it's completely backwards in this country that yeah. it's cool. I mean, it, it's it's totally cool to, like, have a heavy-duty violence, but God forbid you show, like, a titty or something like that, you know? Yeah, and he also mentioned that in that particular shot, it was closed set, and it was one, two, three, and, you know, everyone moved on. But, yeah, she wanted to do it. That's what he said. And I somehow I believe him because that's kind of, I you know, Mike and I have followed her career a long time and I've read many interviews with her and I've seen tons of things she's been in. And I would believe uh, Dario in that saying that she probably wanted to do the scene. Would you? 100%. Yeah. But again, going back to the fact that I feel like uh, the main character, David, is a decent guy. He doesn't like he's not preying on her at all. Like he's not like lascivious or like. He's not being a creep. Would you agree? Yeah, he's definitely not being not not trying to lurk up on her or anything like that. He's definitely trying to take care of her. Like he, you know, gives her some mm-hmm. cash to buy stuff at the uh, farmer's market and, mm-hmm. you know, make sure she's got food and that kind of thing, you know, and, and that genuinely looking after her. However, his now the relationship with the uh, anchor woman is is definitely casual. Like it's not like yeah. they're trying to have like, uh, you know, span time together or anything like that. And, uh, right. Because even even when she calls she calls him up at like I don't know, like like midnight or something, and she's like, it's like, oh yeah, what are you doing? You know, and he's ah, oh, there's someone here, you know. And it's it was almost just like it was just straight up like late night phone call, like to see what's right, going on. Right, I mean, to get some action. Yes. Yeah, to get some action. Um, we're we're kind of uh, glossing over the fact that uh, how she kind of ended up with with David ultimately, um. She's the daughter of Romanian immigrants, and uh, they were doing a a seance, her parents, that night. Uh, of course, Piper Laurie plays her mother. Um, but it was, you know, she's kind of like a, like a fake psychic or whatever who holds seances for, you know, local rich people or whatever. And they're trying to find the identity of a serial killer known as the headhunter. And of course, like, you know, shit hits the fan and there's like this rainstorm and windows break and they they've kind of like i guess like you know called on who the headhunter is and uh the mother says some interesting words during it that if you're really paying attention you could almost kind of figure out what the hell is really kind of going on you know one of those things yeah um and uh like the mother the mother runs out of the house and the father goes chasing after her and again it's like this kind of like you know stormy night and uh, unfortunately, both the mother and father end up being killed by this mysterious, you know, metal garrote wielding maniac who severs both of their heads. Right. Uh, and Aura kind of gets a brief look at him, but not really like what she sees is this figure holding up the heads that's kind of blocking its own face, uh, which which is kind of interesting, which, of course, plays later on in the movie. A uh, little bit of uh, your eyes kind of playing tricks on you, what you really see. 
So, you know, her parents are dead and she has nowhere to stay. And that's kind of how she ends up staying with David, right? Yeah. And uh, I would probably mention that the 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 Dr. Judd character who mm -hmm. um, seems to be uh, in pursuit of um, of Aura. Mm -hmm. and, uh, played uh, by Frederick Forrest. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he becomes uh, a major sort of figure in the end by the end by the end of this film. Yes. Um, other interesting fun facts about this movie. Okay. Uh, Asia plays uh, a girl who is stricken with anorexia. Uh, in real life, uh, part of the basis for this movie, uh, in Dario's real life, Daria Nicolotti's daughter, Anna Ciroli, who was Dario's, you know, stepdaughter and Asia's half sister, uh, actually had anorexia. So that is where that came from. And at the very end of this movie, there's a very interesting kind of surreal moment uh, where there's a girl dancing to to reggae on a porch. You know that scene, Mike, at the very end? Like when they oh. start rolling the credits. I thought that, like, it was yeah. kind of trippy. Like, I dug it, in a, but it was really odd, you know? Right. Well, that is none other than Anna Ciroli, Asia's uh, half-sister, Daria's stepdaughter. That's who that was. And on a very sad note, uh, she died a year later in a, a motor scooter accident in okay. Italy. So, yeah, that that girl, that pretty girl dancing at the end of this movie was Asia's half-sister. And uh, she is no longer with us. And we've squeezed in yet another uh, Argento daughter in this movie. Uh, there is a scene at the Faraday Clinic where David is looking for Aura. And the nurse that he talks to is none other than Fiore Argento. So uh, Fiori Argento, Asia Argento, and the late Anna Ciroli are all in this film. How about that, Mike? Family affair. Yes, family affair. But yeah, uh, I know we, we jumped ahead a little with that end scene, but I just I love the hell out of that weird ending. You know what it reminds me of? That Inland Empire ending. Yeah, you know what? That's a good call because I, I wouldn't have thought that. But yes, I can see that. With the da the dancing, like it just it just kind of makes almost no sense, kind of that we're ending, right? Like or like I'm trying to remember if it made sense the ending of that movie, but you know, hard to connect anything where there's like all those like dance dancing like hookers basically. Yes, the, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I very cool ending moment of this movie. But anyway, uh, yeah, it, it it's you know it's it, interesting to see all the daughters uh in the film. And then there's that there's that infamous photo that's been on like social media, Instagram, and Facebook of like Daria and Dario and the and the three daughters, and this is them. So yeah. Um, moving right along, while she is with David, uh, you know, the killing keeps going on, and we're starting to see that all of these people that are being killed, all these women, are all nurses, right, Mike? That's right. And there is a, a sole male uh, who is also involved, who is, of course, played by Brad Dourif, who is, uh, as it turns out, is a doctor, right? He's Dr. Lloyd. So it's like slowly but surely things are, are kind of like getting pieced together as to, OK, so there is there is a connection between who is being killed and perhaps why they're being killed. Um, and it also true Argento form. Uh, if you pay attention to your Argento movies, 
you know, at some point there's an appearance of an animal or two, right, Mike? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah uh, with this, it is a, is it a lizard? Is that, I mean, what, what is it, an iguana? What is I would it? say it's a lizard. There's a lizard. Yeah. It is a very interesting lizard that makes a few appearances. So, you know, um, and there, there's a young boy also who, who lives next to apparently where the killer is keeping all the heads. And, you know, in the moonlight, he sees the heads in the window and he's really afraid. What did you think of that whole little side story involving the young boy? Um, interesting. But to be completely honest with you, the movie is 104 minutes long. Mm -hmm. I might I might have cut that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's important because they end up back at that house. You know what I'm saying? And like, the movie ends at that house that the boy is looking at. Okay, I was going to say I would cut that, but trim a couple seconds off here and there. You know what I mean? Yeah, because there's a scene where the, the, the young neighbor boy who happens to live at the house of horrors where the killer really lives, and we don't know who the killer is just yet. Uh, he kind of breaks into her house. And he finds the the you know the, the 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 killing machine, and he's you know chasing after this like lizard, and it's I don't know I thought it actually kind of made the movie a bit lighter, not that it was like super dark and heavy, but it added some kind of like I guess comic relief or just I don't know I, I thought it was interesting. It didn't make me dislike it though, you know. It's cool, but like I said, it just I thought it was a little long winded, just a touch. Gabriel, that's the, the young boy, yeah, young kid, uh, because it's his own pet lizard, right? That crawls uh, into the open window, and you know, it, it's like this whole little side story. But uh, ultimately, uh, the doctor Judd, who, who again is played by Frederick Forrest, uh, gets kind of like I mean, are you thinking he's the killer at any point or or, or not really? Yeah, I did, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the viewers are supposed to be thinking that as well. Uh, he is pretty obsessed with Aura. And it just, you know, as you're watching the film, of course, you can make the case for, oh, yeah, it's him. But I felt like that was, I guess, a little too easy, you know? Um, And he kind of gets like pinned as the killer right yeah after that car accident yes mm -hmm. yeah it's and, like a red herring you know what i mean oh, it's, it's a total you know giallo red herring uh because basically they're, they're kind of david and Aura are, are kind of like unfolding a story with the victims and they, they find this postcard with photos and how all these women are kind of tied to each other and, you know, but as they're finding out all this information, you know, the body count is kind of piling up. Um, but yeah, Dr. Lloyd is definitely a, a suspect, you know, because, well, he's not dead, number one, and he has a little bit of an ax to grind and he's obsessed with Aura. And he knew the parents, right? So, you know, there are things pointing to him being the killer. Um, and he does, I don't know, like he 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 attacks Aura and he, he flees away in the car and then like the car crashes and all the heads come flying out of the trunk of the car, right? Right. And you're like, obviously, this is the guy who did the killing. Yeah, but then again, if you're watching, you know that what kind of movie you're watching. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
you know, you, you have exactly. doubts. <laughs> you do have your doubts. But the police, like James Russo, I mean, you know, James Russo is like this cool cult actor. He's kind of like, doesn't really have much to do in this movie, right? Like, he doesn't really, like, do much. Like, he's supposed to be like this tough guy cop. He's not in a lot of the movie. And he just kind of, he shows up kind of after the fact a lot. And, you know, <laughs> like, uh, basically, as a viewer, you, you you kind of think that maybe the doctor was the killer. But, you know, if you're watching it at home, you're like, oh, no, there's 25 minutes left of the movie. He's obviously not the killer. Right. Like, that's always a really good way if you're watching something on a Blu-ray or whatever of knowing if a movie is indeed wrapped up or not, you know, by just checking just how much is left. And if you've yep. got like 20 plus minutes or 20 minutes, then you could have almost literally an entire movie left to go. Would you agree? That's true. Um, so after everyone thinks everything is wrapped up, uh, David has kind of, you know, aura kind of goes missing and David has lapsed back into his addiction and he's lost his job. And he's kind of roaming the streets of Minneapolis and you kind of feel bad for him because again, he's a good dude who kind of really didn't do anything wrong. He just got kind of wrapped up in this crazy girl and her crazy family and these crazy killings. Um, but as he's kind of in like a, a stupor passed out in the streets, he sees this figure walk past with a bracelet uh, that Aura owned, right? Yes. Like this, you know, this woman wearing the bracelet. Uh, and then he kind of follows that woman and he, he breaks into the home of, you know, sure enough, what a surprise, right next to where Gabriel lives, where the, you know, the killings took place. And, you know, he sees all this like nursery set up with the name Nicholas on everything and a, a decapitated, uh, you know, infant doll. And then all of a sudden, uh, Lo and behold, uh, you know, Piper Laurie appears and knocks him unconscious. Uh, that is because Piper Laurie apparently never died. And, you know, spoiler alert, people, the movie's 30 something years old. Uh, Piper Laurie is indeed the killer. And as it turns out, she had an axe to grind because many years prior, while pregnant, and I guess while Aura was, uh, you know, a, a young girl at the time, I would imagine because this would have been her younger brother, Nicholas. Um, I guess the worst doctors and nurses ever were about to uh, give birth, help give birth to her child. Uh, at, at some point, the baby gets decapitated by a scalpel as she's giving birth to it. Dude, which is little... <laughs> It's so preposterous, but yeah, it's great. It is rather preposterous, let's be honest. And she's screaming like a banshee and going crazy and... And it, instead of, of course, you know, upholding the the law of being a doctor and a nurse and, and you know, trying to save lives and take care of people, they decide to bring Piper Laurie in to get shock treatment so that she'll forget everything. Uh, but, of course, the other aspect of this is that the husband is also there at the time, and he's totally okay with the wife getting shock treatment, which is why... Uh, the father dies along with the doctor and the nurses because he was in on the, quote, killing of the baby and was OK with her getting the shock treatment. And the movie basically turns into a tale of uh, revenge. Huh, Mike? Yeah, it's a revenge tale, you know, and but, you know, with those 
awesome Italian plot twists, you know, and, and those those like uh, completely uh, awesome, awesomely unbelievable uh, elements, <laughs> like the baby being decapitated and all that, you know. But it's it's great. That's why you watch movies like you watch these Giallo movies for this reason, you know. Oh yeah, I mean it, the electroshock treatment was to make her erase her memory of Nicholas and the botched birth and death and all that, and you know. Uh, I guess it worked for a little while until it did not work anymore. And she remembered and staged this whole thing out to, to kill her husband and kill all the people at fault. Um, so she has uh, Aura and, and David in the basement kind of chained up or whatever. And um, our little buddy, Gabriel, the neighbor, has managed to find his way back into the house. And he has stolen the the instrument of terror, which has been used throughout the movie. And in this interesting scene where uh, like a beam in the basement has been ripped apart. So it reveals a hole in the ceiling right as uh, Piper Laurie is about to, to, to kill the two of them. A little Gabriel reaches down and uh, beheads uh, his creepy neighbor. Um, again, deep, deep red esque moments because Piper Laurie almost resembles the mom who was the killer in deep red. A little bit, at least, you know. Um, and then, like I said, it also reminded me of Deep Red because there's that also kind of uh, mystery red herringish ending with the painting, where in reality the woman's face was there and it wasn't the painting. And in this killing scene in Trauma, she wasn't holding up two heads; she was holding up one head, and the other face was her own because she was the killer, you know. Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, yeah, it's pretty masterfully done at the end. Yes. And it, that it's, you know, again, that's why you kind of watch these uh, movies from Italian directors, because I don't think an American would have even thought of something that cool. Uh, you oh, know, definitely. like that, that interesting, right? Yeah. It, that, it's that's... very... <laughs> Very European, very Italian. I I also have that Severin, uh, not Severin, uh, Vinegar Syndrome version of this play too. I remember there was that. I, I think I bought it on one of those Black Friday sales back when it came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and you know, the movie uh, the movie ends there. Uh, but I feel like again, it, it, as the movie's ending, the camera pans like across the street from the house. And there's a reggae band playing this song. And there's this girl, this pretty girl dancing. And it's just, it just kind of ends. It's got like this, you know, like the, the crawl of the credits. And then it cuts to the, the, the theme song in the movie that plays at the beginning for Pino Dinaggio. And it's got like this kind of ethereal, kind of weird, moody, dreamy setting, right? Yeah, the ending for sure. It's it's like you were saying, it almost has a, that Inland Empire vibe to it, you know, which I didn't pick up on originally, but yeah, it makes sense to me, yeah. Yeah, and another little cool fun fact is that apparently to, to give this movie a bit of a dreamy look, uh, Dario had smoke a, a lot in the background that you, the viewer really couldn't see too much, you know, but it was a little more visible for the actors and actresses on set. Like he said, he smoked out a lot of scenes, uh, both inside and outside. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. That's why, man. Like, see, some people like to clown on Dario and, and, and saying that he hasn't made a, a good movie in so long and his last great movie was opera or whatever. 
And I just feel like with a fresh rewatch of something like this, that that is completely untrue. Um, I would say movies like Trauma, Stendhal Syndrome, and Sleepless are three essential Argento movies. And, And I would say the three movies that probably round out his top 10 like must-see films, Mike. Definitely Stendhal syndrome for sure. That's that's that was that that would be one my top ten for sure. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh I you know, I, I really am partial again, like I said, to uh this movie, uh Sleepless, Known Hosono, and Stendhal Syndrome. Uh Stendhal Syndrome might be the best of those three, actually. I need to actually watch that one again too. Um I remember that actually managed to to hit theaters in the city. I remember I was supposed to see it one day and I didn't fucking get to see it. I was so pissed. But, uh, you know, like I said, some people kind of write off certain errors of Argento as as being like, oh, you know, whatever. They suck, or shitty and not essential. But I don't know. I, I, I completely view this quite differently now, especially learning about the backstory of the plot of this movie and I like the fact that all all three sisters are in the movie, and I I I never even really knew that before. Um, you know, sometimes it, it just when you learn more about a film that you're maybe a little more on the fence on, and then you watch it again, it just you know it makes you appreciate it a little more. You know, definitely. So, what would you give this as, as a score, Mike? Okay, I was struggling with this. Okay, because it's not. Look, it's not his absolute best, right? Like I said, it kind of rounds out a top 10, you know? And I was fluctuating between two scores, but I I am landing on 3.5 instead of four. Because I think four might be a little too high. Okay, three is see it. 3.5 is see it. It's actually really good. That's my. That's how I view my three point five. See it. It's it's good. It's better than its reputation. Like you know, um, and I actually, yeah, I really enjoyed watching this again. You know, like it almost was a four, and I almost feel like I should give it a four, but I'm I'm going with three point five. Give it a four, and I'll tell you oh, why. Yeah, I mean, it's um maybe within the canon of his other films. Mm-hmm. It rounds out the top 10, but as a film, it's a four. You know what I'm trying to say? You know what? All right. I'm going with four. We're, yeah, we're I mean, both going with four. I mean, definitely my, uh, my my top yeah. Argento films would be like, you know, Suspiria, Opera, mm-hmm. Stendhal mm-hmm. Syndrome, uh, mm-hmm. Tenebrae, Tenebrae, like stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, this would fall on the lower half of that spectrum, but as a right. just a straight up film, it's a four, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. It's better than its reputation. Look, okay, straight up. This is better than Dracula 3D. It's better than Jello. It's better than Mother of Tears. It's better than Card Player. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's better than uh, The Phantom of the Opera. It's it's of the best of the latter era. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, is it better than Dark Glasses, Michael? Yeah, Dark Glasses. I was quite fond of that movie. Like, yes, I feel I, I, like it might be a little better. I, I was going to say I would put it above dark glasses. Yes. Okay. Right. That's where I would say like a dark glasses is a three fiver, and this is definitely like a four. It is. It is better than dark glasses. It is. 
But Dark Glasses is better than the three, is better than Dracula, Giallo, and Mother of Tears. Um, I almost want to see Mother of Tears again. I mean, I saw it in the theater and me, you know, with uh, Yoshitomi, and we were just like, oh my God, this is really bad. Um, But I, I, that was in 07. That was like a long time ago, you know? Um, Just to like, you know, see if it's as bad as I remember, you know what I'm saying? Like Dracula 3D is bad. I, I, I saw it. It's it's not even really worth seeing again. Giallo is pretty fucking bad. It's another one I saw. I don't think I want to waste my time with again. Uh, Mother of Tears. I think I'm gonna fuck with it again. <laughs> Do you? Did you like Mother of Tears? Yeah, I did. Mm. What all I'm gonna say is, why don't you let me know what you think about it? <laughs> watch it again. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then maybe I'll watch it again for sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I said, when you watch these extras, folks, and it's it's a director you really love and care about, it just it just gives you a totally kind of like different take on things, you know. I feel like Darry was in a very weird place when he made this movie, and it's kind of it's kind of there in the movie. Um, and the fact that like the the daughter that he based the character loosely on ended up dying a year later. Thankfully, not due to anorexia, but she died a year later, and she's the dancing girl at the end. Wow, it just kind of it makes the movie very special in a way. It makes it very like holy shit, you know. Yeah, a little mm. bit of a backstory there for sure. Yeah, yeah, she died in this motor scooter incident in uh, in '94 actually, and she was young, you know. But uh, yeah, and now of course Daria Nicolodia is no longer with us. I mean, you know. I uh I love Dario, man. He's uh, always I'm always rooting for Dario. Thanks uh, for listening, everyone. And yes. uh, yeah, that was trauma, man. We, we should do. We got to do more. We got to do more Argento films. You know, I think we do I think, have to uh, do more. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a plethora of his other movies we haven't talked about yet, so we got we got to hit more. I agree, and I and I think uh, the listeners would appreciate it, and of course the the many Dario fans would also appreciate it. Uh, yeah, let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know what you think of trauma. And thank you for your support, Necromaniacs. Take care, guys, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Now. Bye-bye.
Yes. <laughs>